welcome to this edition of When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine, a discussion of sustainable living and what that means to you and me. I'm Jay Warmke. And today I'm Annie Warmke. And tomorrow I'll be Annie Warmke. Yeah. <laughs> no, oh, that'll be probably fun. not. But today, <laughs> today we're going to be talking about um, some, some lessons learned from nearly 30 years of living in an airship at Blue Rock Station, or why everything I ever learned in school was wrong. So with that ominous uh, lead in, Annie, tell us all the life lessons you've had in living in a house made of trash. Well, I want to say that I learned in school and in a lot of places that you would grow up and marry the person you dreamed of. Oh, and I, I did do that. Prince Charming. I got it wrong before I met you, but I got it right uh, 40 some years ago. So. All right. Well, that's sweet. So anyway, I think um, one of the things, of course, we get a lot of questions and this is part of the series where we've said, all right, we've had probably close to 40,000 people come through Blue Rock Station. Or more. We stopped counting because it seemed ridiculous to keep counting. Yeah. I started counting because I thought the feds, when it was tax time, might think that we really weren't doing what we said. So I kept, I had a journal, a really nice professional journal that had everybody's name and address in it and <laughs> how many, and we stopped counting. It's long, sort of like the no. McDonald's thing, you know, now it's just billions and billions instead of, you know, <laughs> it's one million, two million, three million, <laughs> so on and so forth. So anyway, so so one, a lot of the questions that people have, of course, they ask about the buildings, they ask about the process, they ask about the privy, you know, that's always a big deal. Ask about some of the mechanics, and we've covered some of these in previous um, episodes, but um, really what what we're talking about now is kind of like one of the things that comes up often is they say, what have you given up? You know, what have you given up by leaving the quote, unquote, which is wrong, I know, quote, American dream, <laughs> you know, the, the, let's, let's the earn American a lot dream. of money. We okay. American dream. No, no, no. We're the, we're the Swedish dream right now. Oh, you know, it's like, no. uh, there's this dream that you're going to graduate from college. And, and I was, I bought into this that I'm going to graduate from college. I'm going to go out. I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to have my Mercedes 350 SL red convertible. I'm going to have a lot of material wealth. And at that point, I don't know. I'll be happy. I'll be satisfied. But this I'll is be what, safe. This is what your experience was growing up. So mine was very different from that. And not that we were poor, but there was always arguing about money. And there was always living well outside of your means. So I decided when I was seven years old that I was not going to grow up and take care of other people's children or clean other people's messes up, maybe my own family's, but nobody else's. And I was not going to overeat and I was not going to live outside my means. Mm -hmm. And I think I have really stuck with that all the way back from when I was in college living on $216 a month with a kid. And I still managed to to do it. And I think, you know, for me, it doesn't feel weird. Like when people ask these questions, I'm just so used to it. But I remember when the first time when we were meeting with contractors and they all thought I was insane and you announced I wasn't. And so that was that. But then we had That's neighbors. my professional diagnosis. <laughs> we had neighbors. I, I've since revised my opinion on occasion. That's but... another show. That's another <laughs> right. show. But, but we had neighbors, our neighbors, uh, when I used to have to go into town for supplies after my crew went home when we were building the house. And um, 
apparently they would all gather at one person's house. There were three houses that did this. And then they would all walk down the lane to the building site and look at the building site. And so one time I had forgotten something and I came back early and they were horrified. And I think that's pretty much how they were all along. You know, like, you're so weird. You're just so weird. Well, I never felt like I was weird. I was using what I had to create a building that was going to take care of us no matter what the weather. We could grow our own food. We had water. I mean, that's just homeland security, babe. You know, I mean, really, it's so crazy to be thought of as being weird. Okay, well, one of the reason, one of the things I'm trying to direct this episode is to say, all right, well, it's been 30 years, basically, since we've been doing this. So let's look back at lessons learned. So, so what I'm hearing there is, you know, you can't live your life through other people's perceptions no, of you. Right. You just kind of go, right. you know what? Okay, you think I'm weird? Great. I'm weird. That's fine. Um, I, I remember Catlin when she was like in middle school or whatever, and she's coming home and saying, oh, you know, people think I'm this and people think I'm that. And and I'd say, Catelyn, you just need to understand, while you're looking at these people thinking what they, that they're watching you making judgments about you, they're looking at you thinking you're making judgments about them, or eventually they don't really care you know, they're so self-absorbed. So, so kind of get over it. Get over yeah, what other yeah. people think. Well, I do think, you know, when we first came back to live here, to actually live here in 2004, um, and I would say the first couple of years, people would come on tour and we had workshops. And, and the thing that I was shocked about, because I hadn't lived in this country for three and a half years under the Bush administration and the Iraq war and, you know, 9-11 and all that stuff, was that people would sit in the living room and cry, literally cry, when we would talk about political thoughts and issues and things like that. And I have, and also the other, that would be one group of people that would come and another group of people thought we were going to sing and dance and put on a show when we were touring and looking at things. But that's really changed because most of the time I would say people come here because they're serious about wanting to live more resiliently. And especially with COVID, I think there's a real push to think, all right, how can I deal with climate change, with climate adaptation? Um, And again, that's not everybody, but the people that are coming here are serious now about how they can live more resiliently because they see they would be happier. And resiliency is just about usually simplicity, just doing it more simply, doing it without debt. And so for me, the less, I guess the a big lesson is that, is that people have a dream. They often have a dream, but they don't have the ability to make that giant leap to make it happen. I, I always say when people are talking to me about, I'm going to build an earthship or I'm going to build a, an earth bag house or whatever, I'm going to build a, buy a farm. Uh, you know, and when I try to delve into that, it's clear that it's such a giant step. It's as if they're trying to step over the Grand Canyon. They don't have any idea of how to really Well, begin. just that first step. That right. beginning is, right. is the big issue. And, right. and people are often big talkers and we're going to make these changes, but they don't. Well, also, mm-hmm. I see people lack 
uh, the ability to stay motivated. Sure. Well, there's a lot of naysayers and a lot of pressure to to conform, yeah. to conform with whatever it is that the marketplace is telling you you need to conform to. Yeah. Well, and I think that brings me to another thing that was harsh to learn is that that it's not always possible to make a community exactly where you live. I, I know I tried. I did all the things that I learned, you know, as a young person. I did all the things I learned living in Europe and making friends with people who didn't even speak English. And then I came to Appalachia and, uh, and I experienced bigotry against myself, even though my people are from here. Um, it made me angry. And it made me feel really sad. I know I cried a lot about it. But at some point, I said, okay, you know, friends are too important and community is too important. So how do we create the, this for ourselves? And so we did workshops. We now do these dinners, you know, people can come. Um, we we have Yule's party, we have goat stock for our interns. So we're continuing to draw people that we find interesting and that have, uh, have value to our lives and that we have that as a reciprocating experience. Um, but that took time. It's taken energy. It does take energy to keep that up. But well, I mean, I, I that's think, the reality. I think what you're saying there, though, is that, you know, a lot of people, and we hear this all the time, I want to move to... Ithaca, New York. I want to move to San Francisco. I want to move to Athens, Ohio, you know, where people are of a like mind and I will find community. Yet, really, the problem is you've got to create community wherever you happen to be. It's like your grandmother always used to say, bloom where you are planted, yeah. you know. There's, I, I mean, I personally find people on the left and the right equally annoying. So <laughs> You think so, people are annoying, period. It doesn't know. matter their politics. <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know, I don't want to be told that, you know, whatever, I've got to use organic hemp clotheslines or whatever. You know, it's annoying. So, so make your community where you are. You know, try and well, create that that space yeah. around yourself, your own little yeah, I don't know, bubble, whatever. So, so the thing is, there's it's, there's more to it than that for me, and that is that I want to feel safe with these people that I'm going to be in community with. So I don't really care who you voted for. Well, I do care today. It tells me <laughs> a lot. But in the past, I have not really cared who you voted for or didn't vote for. Um, what I cared about is, are you going to be honest with your relationship with me and about life? Are you going to put your issues on the table if you don't like something I've done? Um, are you going to connect with me when it matters? Are you going to show up? You know, that's all safety. Again, that's that homeland security thing. And <clears throat> that was really hard for me to accept that that wasn't going to happen here. Mm -hmm. and, and, it, and I do have two close friends here. You don't have any close friends here. Um, <laughs> but these are women that I met a long time ago through the work I did when I was running a women's fund. And, and I kept showing up because I was building a house out of trash and I wanted to know women. And so these women have hung on to me and they're really great friends. I appreciate them immensely. But everybody else is from somewhere else, which requires a lot different planning and a lot of different thinking about it. Um, well, I want to back up just a wee little bit because you're talking about the folks who are coming, and I agree that the folks who are coming here now, and some of this is because of the way we're marketing ourselves, 
come with with more concrete ideas about what they're searching for. Yeah. But I don't know that the vast majority of the people over the life of Blue Rock Station have really had a sense of it. I think they've had a sense of disquiet, a sense of disconnect. In life, you mean, yeah. In their life. Uh-huh. There's there's something wrong, there's something missing, but yes. I don't know how to articulate that. And if I tried to focus on it, it would probably, I don't know, either be too painful or it would disappear into the mist. But it it's sort of like, you know, somebody who's born an orphan who never knew that they should have had parents. You know, it's this kind of disconnection from everything. And I think our world really encourages that. You know, you're disconnected from nature, you're disconnected from natural consequences, you know, and and we used to try and do this with Catlin all the time, you know, it's like, I don't have anything to wear. And I said, did you clean them? You know, did you wash them? Wash your clothes. And she's no, like, no. they're on the floor of the bedroom. No, well, natural consequence. Yeah. If you don't clean up, you don't have That's anything. That's right. Well, so I've, one of the things that I love about our life is that the people who come here are looking for something. They are, and some of it has a longing to it. I'm whatever, uh, I'm fine with that, or it doesn't have to be there. But I, when I meet someone, I, I always think this might be my friend. That's, that's, I'm looking for something. And I feel like when people come and they're looking for something, they want to see the house or they want to ask all these questions about the toilet or whatever, that that gives a moment, a a chance to connect with people at a different level. And I think that's what our life has come to. Um, People come here and they're very moved by how they feel uh, that it's a place of peace and a place of calm. I would have never imagined that, uh, because it didn't occur to me that that's how we lived our life. It just seems normal. But it's lovely when people come looking for something. And I'm not here to provide that. Um, I'm not trying to make their life okay or whatever. Uh, I I just want to connect. Yeah, and and it's easy to connect with folks. I think it gives a starting point, the Earthship does. When people come here and they say, what you're doing is so cool. I am so interested. I am fascinated. And they're, you know, physically and, and obviously like interested. <laughs> we get some other folks who come and it's like, you need to impress me. You need to entertain me. I've, I've shown well, we up. Don't, we don't invite those people anymore. Yeah, those people we tend to dismiss. And, and then the others who, who come to us and say, I'm interested in this and you should be really impressed that I'm interested. And, and it's like, it's suddenly not about the lifestyle. It's not about, it's like, look how cool I am because I'm interested in these things. And you need to drop everything and cater those, to Those me. people don't come down the lane either. Yeah, they, so. they think we're jerks. Anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> um, you have been, li- or you are in the middle of this, right? You're listening to When the Biomass It's the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke, reminding you it is indeed the end of the world as we know it. And thank God I've been waiting on it. Yeah, we've been waiting. So our world, you know, about 30 years ago, we sort of transitioned going from suburbia, corporate world, chasing a buck to um, not not making money, <laughs> living <laughs> in days. a house made of trash. And and you know what's funny is is pursuing these these ideals. Um, we we've, we've always had enough. 
You know, I mean, it's, it's not been one of these, if I quit my job, and this was a discussion we had a lot, where I was in a very secure job, being paid a lot of money, and I said, but if I quit, um, I won't have money, I won't have security, I won't have health care, I won't have a retirement plan. But you had me. Yeah, I had you. So what did you tell me? <laughs> what did you tell me? Uh, I said, these are all illusions. The, all of these things that you're putting so much weight on and so much of your self-esteem on are, are baloney and they can go away in a heartbeat and it's like running your finger through water. You'll just disappear in these people's lives. The things that are valuable are what makes life resilient. And so that is about lovely relationships, happy relationships with other people, about community, about living in a building that is um, able to withstand, you know, to be sustainable with all the things that we deal with today. It keeps you cool, keeps you warm. Uh, you know, it's, it's really about so much more than that. And from the very beginning of our relationship, um, I think that's where I was coming from, although we didn't use words like resilient and sustainability in those days. Um, I just wanted that, that safety of, I knew if things were simple, that if we didn't have any money and no income, which we have had that a couple of times in our life, um, we could still figure it out because we had a good foundation, a good infrastructure, and that we had our relationship. And that became our bank account. Well, we're even talking like right now, getting ready for winter. And, and we were just talking about it the other day. And I said, well, you know, we got plenty of firewood. We got hay in the barn. Yeah. And we've got a cistern full of water and, and a lot of food set aside. So yeah, we're we probably fine. We need. Yeah. Well, we, we need other people, but that, will, that can happen. There's always Zoom. Anyway, so let's take a few questions that people commonly ask. And one of them is, um, what do you do if you get sick? Because mm -hmm. up until Obamacare, we did not have insurance. We made some choices. And the, our, first, our first choice was to say um, that we can practice health by being good to our immune system and by trying to eat uh, healthy and not be too heavy and things like that and 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 have work that's meaningful and a lifestyle that supports us and makes us feel happy well and and that was an issue for me more than it was for you because i did pursue trying to get insurance and basically the insurance <laughs> people told me well annie you're not you're not insurable because you have pre-existing conditions and uh, i because i had never really been to a doctor since i was you know 13 years old they said, you're not insurable because you have no medical history. So I'm like, okay, so I don't have any problems, so you're not going to insure me. And, <laughs> and Annie has some problems, so you're not going to insure her. So isn't this system great? So, so that worried me. But I was relieved because I work too hard for the money that I get. I, I don't want to give it to those people. Right. So because I wasn't planning on getting sick. Well, that's true. So what I did, and I don't know if this is, uh, I just started donating blood. And, uh, you know, every, and you felt better. Well, no, but see, every six months, they basically give you a physical. Oh, that's right. I you know, you yes. go in and they give you cookies, too. And it didn't cost you anything. You know, that, that was a little bit of pain. You talked but... me into doing that once. And then they threw my blood out because I had had uh, some kind of thing. And they told me to go to the doctor. I'm like, OK, well, thank God I'm out of that now. Well, the funniest was that first time that time when we went uh, 
and and they were asking if we had been to Africa, and we're like, yeah, oh we had been to Africa, and said, what country? <laughs> we said Tunisia, and they say, oh, that's that's uh, no, you can't get I, blood. That's per, that's permitted or that's prohibited. And I was looking at the list of what countries, and it was like. <laughs> Tanzania. I said, no, Tunisia is not Tanzania. No, the you woman know? left me sitting there and she goes, wait, I have to look this country up. I don't know where Tunisia is, but I think it's on the list. So uh, you know. I was like, oh, okay, then I'll get out of giving blood. I just was <laughs> hoping to get out of giving blood. So I should say there are workarounds. All right. That was my, that was my clever attempt to. Um, but so you did take care of yourself. That's what I'm saying is right. that we we said, okay, what exists that could be beneficial to us making sure we're okay? But the other thing is we have never really been big. Uh, I know neither one of us have been to a medical doctor in more than two decades. and But we use other kinds of health professionals like chiropractic and homeopathic and um, things like that and acupuncture and um you know, that's something that's helped our immune system. It's helped us to stay healthy. And I remember once there was somebody, a group here that were the, um, they were acting very sort of snooty about everything. And they ask you, you know, I guess they what look, do you do for yeah, healthcare? He- healthcare. And you said, uh, we, we don't get sick. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, they deserved it. They were being real, real. Real that uppity. was a long time ago. We don't have people that come here like that anymore. So that's good. Yep. So. Okay. So let me ask you one of the things, um, or I, what, what have you given up? What have you given up? To live up? here? Yeah. To live here. If, if I were to say you, you left your suburban home, your nice home, you left jobs, you let the recognition of that. What do you miss? Well, in the early days, I did struggle a bit because I, first of all, was not used to being relegated to be the cook for the workshops when I had been the one that knew how to pound tires and do all that stuff. Um, And that was hard. And also leaving my friends. I think, you know, they used to come and visit when we were first living here. And I finally told them, don't come anymore because it just tears me up so badly when you go home, I can't find my way again for weeks. And, um, but then I started to, to make more friends, not right here, but in, you know, surrounding areas and through people who had been here on tour. Um, and, and that helped. So I think if I have to say I gave up anything, I would say I early on had to really give up mostly my relationship with my, my friends that I'd been friends with forever. Um, <clears throat> because it was just too crazy, but we're back working together, doing things, um, so life has uh, come full circle. And I'd say I gave up a good internet connection. So although 20, 30 Europe, years ago. No, we had a good one. We had high-speed yeah. broadband in Europe, but we did we never had good broadband. Not, not, well, of course, it wasn't really a thing. Before. Yeah, that was uh, good. So <laughs> of sorts. All right. So what's the favorite? What's your favorite thing about having transitioned to this lifestyle? Um, that... Every season, I know this place. So right now, I'm cleaning off all the gardens and getting ready for spring by putting down biscuits of hay to cover up so I don't have to fight the weeds so much early in the spring when I'm planting garden. Um, I know what certain trees will do and won't do. Um, There is this consistency about the seasons in my life. And um, 
and the things that I need to do to get ready for those seasons. And that's interesting because I've always been a person who wasn't very good at sitting down. Well, I'm still not good at sitting down. I'll change that. I, I've never been good at sort of the complacency of life. I've never been good at the boredom that comes with things being the same. But for me, nature has provided an immense variety and diverse um, happenings and, you know, just interesting. And so I don't think I've ever been bored here. I was bored a lot in my other life, but I don't think I've ever been bored here. And that's a gift for me. It helps my brain to slow down. And um, I, I love every day here. I'm uh, grateful. Well, one of the things I thought I might miss, but turns out in retrospect, I don't, is is the status that that was inherent in in a position that society seems has as dubbed as you've you've kind of made it but you could grab it back anytime you wanted to i, I know you but it, stand it, up and wear your expensive watch and well it reminds me like when we were first together you know just out of college and and i was telling you on my list of things i want a mercedes 350 mm -hmm. sl red convertible and then there came a time in our lives when we, we could, we could, suckers. we could have afforded yes. a Mercedes 350 SL. And I was looking at it going, I don't want one of those. I, I want, I want a Toyota, you know, I want something dependable and cheap, you know, relatively Which was what cheap. I said when we were dating. I, I just know. want a dependable car with good gas mileage. Right. So, so I don't, um, it, it's it sort of this, it came to me and I, I know I've said this in different presentations at different times, but the difference between our life, our lifestyle, and I've always used the example of Bill Gates, although I think there are many differences now that have come to mind. <laughs> oh, yes. But I hope that's true because I don't want any surprises along those I'll lines. I'll say a generic billionaire. The difference between <laughs> our life and a generic billionaire is, is tiny. I mean, tiny, tiny. We have a car. He has a car. We have a house. He has a house. It's a little bit bigger. You know, he has a rocket ship. You he has know. more expenses. We have an electric car. So, so the difference between us is is one of marginal degrees. But the difference between us and someone who's homeless, you know, who is in true true poverty, is like the Grand Canyon. You know, there's there's this gap that well, it's, is it's, huge. It's not safe. Yeah, there's, there's no it's safety. about safety. It's about no enough. Safety. I mean, we have enough. He, the billionaire, has too much, yeah. and and I think that's problematic. That has its own set of problems. When you, when you have too many choices, it's the same as not having any choices at all, you know. Right. And and I think the happy medium, you know, the place where you have enough and you're aware that you have enough, is the thing that people seek. It's, yeah, we have that. to learn that though, Jay. So I would say my advice to people who are listening to us today is that. You know, sometimes it's good to just sit down with what you have and think, all right, what do I really have versus what I think I'm supposed to have? All right. And in the last 30 seconds that we have, what is the lasting legacy that you think will be the result of, of these monumentous changes? In our lives? Yeah, yeah. What, oh, what? it's the people who come here who inspire us. And in turn, we somehow inspire them. We see our interns. We've had nearly 90 interns and uh you know we we see 
them doing things and and they they've now come back to help us we formed a farm advisory board to look at succession for the farm so we sent these little agitators out into the world <laughs> yeah to, to find their way and they come start home, with mess with other yeah, people yeah and they come home periodically that's the that's the real gift all right but they don't stay which no, is another, another real gift, gift. <laughs> <laughs> all right well you've been listening to when the biomass hits the wind turbine with jay and annie Warnke. We want to thank our ever-present Emmy Award-winning producer, Adam Rich, and we want to thank you for spending a little time with us. And as your grandmother hopefully told you, the secret to a happy and sustainable life is... Play nice with others, clean up your own mess, and eat your vegetables. Sustainable. Till next time. Bye-bye. You can find more information on living sustainably in our unsustainable world at BlueRockStation.com.